0: Welcome to episode number 19 of the Clean Sport Collective Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. I'll be joined by co-host Kara Goucher today as we continue part two of our discussion with Frank Shorter. Frank Shorter, of course, is a two-time Olympic medalist in the marathon. We went into a full introduction of him on our last episode with Frank, episode number 15. So I would encourage you to check that one out as well. We ended that episode with a really fascinating cliffhanger of a story about how USADA, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, was formed, and we will pick up today's discussion right where we left off talking about the early days of USADA and, of course, Frank's involvement with that, as well as fast-forwarding all the way to getting his reaction on the recent news related to the Nike Oregon Project and Alberto Salazar. And we'll talk to him not just about the doping violations and the doping suspension that Salazar has received, but also the recent heartbreaking allegations by Mary Kane in the video op-ed that came out this week in the New York Times about how she was shamed and abused during her time training under Salazar in the Oregon Project. So without further ado, let's just jump right in with Frank. Here we go. Welcome, Frank Shorter, back to the show. How are you doing today, Frank?
1: Oh, uh, very well. Lots of stuff going on since we last talked. Yes, especially in the uh, in the performance enhancing drug world.
0: Yes, so much to get to with you, and we're going to get your reaction on all the current events as we go through the conversation. But I wanted to kind of start where we left off last time and continuing your story a little bit. You told us the, the great, great story about how Usada was formed. With General McCaffrey leading the way there, and and using his leverage with the IOC to get things done. So, give us give us the rest of that story.
1: Yeah, well, we we the uh, the model was there, and the IOC agreed to allow the USOC to come up with the idea of uh, an independent, truly independent drug testing agency. And this was um, in 1999 early, early 1999. And so, uh, and again, have to mention the great late, great Senator John McCain, who was instrumental in, you mentioned uh, the leverage the White House provided through President Clinton, and Barry McCaffrey. Well, without John McCain, and this was a bipartisan effort, without him and the Commerce Committee and that pressure on the International Olympic Committee, uh, that they were able to, uh, Exert, uh, it it wouldn't have happened. So what, what happened was um, it was agreed that uh, after the Sydney Olympics in two thousand, this new independent agency, which was called the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, would take over um, all drug testing um, um, in um, Olympic sports and in in the United States, and half the money would come from Congress. Um, and half would come from the U.S. Olympic Committee. And it was a very modest uh, budget. I think that first year, the total budget was somewhere around 9 or $10 million, which is, as, as we know in sports, uh, the, the signing bonus for a backup <laughs> <laughs> free safety right. in the NFL. Um, and, and so uh, that's where it all started. Um, and we had a great board. One of the first things... Our board did, um, at its incorporation meeting, was decide on a a CEO, and um, we picked a a fellow named Terry Madden, who had just gone to work for the United States Olympic Committee. He was an attorney, but he was also a very successful um, businessman, so he actually had gone to work for the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee um, as something he was going to do in retirement. I think and uh, he was very young uh, in, by comparison, and we decided to hire him because he was he was sharp and the other thing that we looked for uh, was that we wanted someone who had this ability um, in a sense to prosecute but also had management skills which he'd shown through his you know business acumen and success and we also wanted someone who wasn't on his way anywhere else and this is the kind of thing I think if you really um, Pay attention in an interview, you can can sense this. Well, turns out we were right. And um, after about three years, uh, we decided to uh, bring in an in-house attorney even though the budget wasn't very big. Um, And lo and behold, we decided to uh, hire an attorney who had already been working for us, who had just started to work for a law firm that, that we had used um and it was Travis Tiger and i i can't I, you just thank the lord that that these kind of things happen because once again an incredibly hardworking, bright um committed person who you knew in your heart was not going to go anywhere else this is what both of these men wanted to do and and so um from two thousand and three on, here Travis Tigert is still going strong, and he wrote the reasoned opinion in two thousand and twelve that um, dealt with the Lance Armstrong uh, situation, and now he was instrumental just this year in um, um, suspending uh, Alberto Salazar for four years because of his um, the the the. The, the kindest word you can say is abuse of um the the, the coaching system and abuse seems to be a word that's going to gain much more strength here given uh given recent news and so you know over the years this is what u.s anti-doping um, has all been about um and um, and uh, it sometimes the news like what's just happened uh, it, it almost surprises you because you can't really believe that it's that it's actually going to happen. And and I know this is sort of um, uh, fast-forwarding over a number of years, but to go back, I think what Terry Madden brought to U.S. anti-doping was this idea of, uh, you know, there are ways uh, to get evidence of use of performance-enhancing drugs and uh, gaining the ability to prosecute these. Uh, that go beyond um, a positive doping test. And so I think part of Terry Madden's legacy was that he came up with the idea really of uh, uh, sort of (laughs) dropping in on the Balco labs in California in 2003, which was kind of the watershed. Um, And he, he was smart enough to know that if other entities, if the U.S., anti-doping agency really was the only entity, I'm not going to mention any other names, but if you realize you're the only person who's really been trying to catch anyone for this illegal use of the drugs, uh, there tends to be a, a complacency that sets in uh, where uh, the, the athletes and, and agents and, and coaches start all shopping at the same place because it's easiest and it's cheap and, and they know that um, there's no problem. Well, Uh, Jerry Madden created a problem because they visited the Valco labs out in California and um, brought along the justice department and the IRS. And we all know that that good old IRS, when you start uh, mentioning to someone like the head of Valco um, that um, (laughs) there's some tax evasion Mm -hmm. possibilities involved, people tend to flip very quickly. And, and so as the result of this one one situation, um, uh, USADA gained all this documentary evidence of drug use, and that was the um, original. And that's where the Barry Bonds problem came from. That's where they were able um, you know, to uh, disqualify American athletes. They even got one British sprinter, whose name I forget, who was one of the favorites. Um, for the Olympics um, in, 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 in 2004. Um, and so uh, that's where it really started, where you could um, disqualify someone based on something other than a positive test. That's why I always sort of um, <laughs> think back and just sort of uh, think lightheartedly about the fact that even now today, the excuse, oh, I never flunked the test, um, that sort of went out the window in 2003. So then Travis Tigert is is hired, and a few years later, uh, Terry Terry Madden retires, and Travis takes over as as, C, uh, as CEO of of US Anti Doping. And uh, lo and behold, he just keeps working and working. Plugging away isn't really the the, the way to describe it. It's just very careful, conscientious step-by-step, tiny, tiny, tiny gains, and then you have 2012 with Lance Armstrong. And we all, again, we're were very happy because we thought, well, Travis really stuck around long enough to do this, and lo and behold, we now realize that even after that, when he would have had opportunities to go somewhere else, um, he stuck with where he was. And so, again, he just wasn't on his way anywhere else. Then athletes started to come to USADA, and that's where Kara, you know, uh, comes in. She she was one of the first, I think, and, and history will show that that her, her coming forward was probably the first, really was the first step forward into the limelight by a successful athlete um, to say, look, we are involved. Um, In this project in Oregon and um, there are things going on here that 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 shouldn't go on and that's where I think Travis started and then you had the combination with the Russian doping situation where person who had been in charge of that where did he go and he needed to talk to someone he felt would really listen to him uh, and where he thought he might be safe he came to the US and he's still being protected. And, and so again this 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 consistent um, sort of methodical uh, and just <laughs> it, it you couldn't do it any better it, it, It's almost like really being an athlete and, and taking three or four years to train for something well Travis has been about this for about eight, 10, 12 years now and, he, and he's always working at it. it always gets better and now I think uh, at some point in the last Two years, um, I think there was a shift. And and I like to think, I call these paradigm shifts. I think there was a a shift on the part of some athletes who felt look, uh, I can go to USADA, Uh, we can go to USADA, And, and they'll listen to us and they'll protect us and they'll do everything they can for us because guess what? They believe us. And, you know, that's that that's the big part here in this day and age, particularly politically, but also in the sports area. You know, trust and and, and confidence in someone is 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 essential. It's paramount. And so I think, again, that's um, where, you know, USADA has come in. Parenthetically, I have to say, you know, I have not been uh, involved officially with USADA since 2003. And, uh, I think now it's probably enough time has gone by that I can say why. Um, on a personal note, um, just about that time in late 2002, um, I went to a Christmas party. And I had some, something to drink. And I started to talk to people about Lance Armstrong. And I began to talk about how I really felt about Lance Armstrong. And at that time, I think I mentioned that one of Armstrong's uh, people, uh, well, the, and used US anti-doping was already looking into Lance Armstrong. And it turned out that one of the people at this party was someone who was going to go do a portrait, a painting portrait of Lance Armstrong. Um, early in the next year. And I realized that, well, my thought was if this person goes and reports what I was saying as the chairman of US anti doping, because I'd been elected chairman, that this would cloud the credibility of US anti doping going forward if we were going to do anything about um, Lance Armstrong and what was going on in cycling. And so I made the decision to uh resign from the board wow. because I didn't want anything to cloud that um investigation, and so that's why i left and and so but after a while the over time, I have gradually come back to you know communicating with USANA, but it's always. In at a we say in a long arm's length um, situation, and because again, as a good as a lawyer, I can tell you, 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 uh, sometimes you don't want to have the answer to a question in case you're ever asked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I've I've always maintained a certain distance. I've always um, tried to um, provide um, uh, support and backup, and, and, and in the public. Domain to explain in a simple a ter- as simple as terms as possible what is going on. You know what's the basic sort of reading through the cloud, and so that's kind of um, uh, all of what I've, I've been doing since two thousand three. So it's been sixteen years that that I've done this, and and now I, I um, I'm at the point where you know I can, I'm, I like to think I'm one of the few people I can call up uh, and and leave Travis Tiger to a voicemail and he actually calls me back that day. And and <laughs> and so um you know it's 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 that kind of relationship. And and so I um uh, I in my own way continue to support uh, everything. Well,
0: wow, that's fascinating. 2003, Lance wasn't prosecuted or served his ban until 2012. What were you seeing back then? That caused you to be suspicious
1: as an athlete. The the history of performance enhancing drugs. um, I I'd been there since the late '60s when it first started to, you know, when the drug started to shift from you know the cattle cattle fields of Nebraska um, to football teams to track and field weight men to then uh, endurance athletes, and believe it or not, even then, back then in late 60s, early 70s, the endurance athletes say, well, I don't take steroids. They don't do anything for me. Oh, okay. And again, (laughs) but no one ever bothered to think about recovery. Um, And and so I'd seen the history. And one thing I'd always remembered, um, and I hope I'm not wandering too much here, was when the Russians and the soviets then started to use steroids particularly with their weightlifters there was one guy named alexiev who had been on the cover of sports illustrated he he was just this olympic champion who who i always admired him because he would get bonuses for setting world records in their program and he would always you know break a world record by a quarter of a pound and then go to another meet and break the record by a quarter of a pound and and so but the other thing i noticed and i i guess it's just the way i look at things Before, I think, they really went on steroids. He was the fifth best weightlifter in the Soviet Union. And all of a sudden, in one season, he went from fifth to first. And they were probably all taking steroids. And so that's when I started to get this idea of what I call leapfroggers. People who respond to the drugs better than others. And it's, it's only natural that some people will. And, um... When I looked to see how suddenly Lance Armstrong had improved so much, and I saw him first um, in the Saint Croix uh, triathlon. I think it was about 1992 or 1993 when he came to do the triathlon and blew everyone away in the bike. It, it showed that he had that he had talent. But then when he went and Went from I think it was 76, the first in the Tour de France in one season. The thought that went through my mind was leapfrogger. Here is someone who responds better, and so that's what that's what piqued my interest um, in 2003 and why why I was interested.
2: I really like that term, by the way, leapfrogger. I'm going to have to take that and use that. That's brilliant because that's what you see, right? These right. people having these crazy progressions, and you just described it perfectly. So I'm going to use that. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> and and with you, you don't even have to cite me.
2: Oh, I will. I got this from Frank Shorter.
1: <laughs> but and and so uh, uh, again, I I didn't want to do anything that that. Um, and, you know, and, and it was a very good lesson for me when it happened at that party at that time. That's when I learned how to shut up, um, really. And, and I like to think that, that that lesson was well learned and I can continue to do that.
0: It must have been really satisfying then when 2012 hit and it finally finally came to justice.
1: Well, the satisfaction was in having uh, been able to be in the in the process that brought Travis Tigert forward there, because that reasoned opinion, was again the, the idea that you could through documentation and people coming forward uh, assemble a case against someone, and only someone like Travis could have done that. And and what went on, it's very good that you bring that up because what what Travis was able to do. Was again create this paradigm shift where athletes started to feel safe coming forward because they could trust him and knew what he said he was going to do. And and once it sort of that paradigm shifted and more and more people started to come forward, um, my view is um, 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 whoever is trying to keep it under control and wraps loses an ability to um, um threaten people and and to keep them from coming forward once 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 the floodgate is open then then more and more people uh will start to come forward and again to to bring that up to what's what's going on uh even today with with uh, you know what but I think you know that for which uh Kara laid the foundation and now you have Mary Kane today in a in a video in, in the New York Times explaining the abuse um that was going on when she was being coached by Alberto Salazar. And as I started to watch this video, I was going, this was abuse. And then about two-thirds of the way through, she said, uses the word. And 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 you go, how um, how it how it can actually happen. It's the shock of recognition that it can actually happen to that degree. But then again, the way my mind works, I start thinking back to Armstrong and saying, is this the paradigm shift? Will there be more young athletes and women who come forward and are willing to say, oh yeah, I remember that. And people in every instance where in one case, she describes being in a tent during rain, and she's being berated. And maybe some of the people who are overhearing this will come forward and say, yes, I was there. I heard this. And, and you know, it, it, that sort of uh, impact um, is, is um, you know, and, and, and she's so right, Mary Kane, when she says that, you know, it's a male-dominated sport and, and and it's controlled by males and it's coached by males and the psychiatrist and psychologist the sports psychologist are male and 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 the the female involvement just isn't there and again uh, to bring it back to myself um, and I hope this is okay to use as an example um, I've written a book and and I came out of a, a climate of extreme abuse, but I always maintained since the, this book came out that my sisters suffered much more um, uh, by this abuse, and I won't go into details, and it's all that you can imagine. It really is. But the other thing I realized, and I get back to, is males not understanding also other kinds of abuse. I think of my mother. My mother had 11 children, and was probably pregnant innumerable times in addition. That was abuse. I view that as abuse. Um, And um, so maybe that it it influences my attitude towards all that's going on now, particularly with regard uh, to the, the, the female athletes, the women athletes. I mean the same standards apply, and in in the case of of um, you know the Salazar suspension, um, many of the same tactics were used for both men and women with regard to some of these drugs and treading the fine line on uh, you know getting therapeutic use exemptions and everything else. But what is showing through here is the psychological abuse uh, that was going on that was most likely perpetrated uh, against the, the male athletes as well, that pressure, but uh, it, it doesn't compare, it seems, to what was going on with the women.
0: Kara, I'm going to let you jump in here. Talk about your reactions to Mary Kane's video today since we're on that topic.
2: First of all, I just want to say I'm really emotional hearing Frank say that because I don't, I don't think that a lot of women hear that. And so it's just really means a lot to me that you can see that the psychological stuff that we go through. Um But as far as Mary's video, I was humbled that Mary trusted me and reached out to me a week ago and shared her experience with me. We were on the phone to get, we had never spoken before. Um, we spoke for about two hours and we laughed and we cried and we shared our experiences and they were so similar. Um Obviously hers there was a lot of differences as well. Obviously she went there as a child and she was isolated for her family and she had no one where I did have Adam. But the same characters, the same manipulative techniques, the same psychological welfare, like just um so I was really humbled that she shared that with me and I was just really proud of her for sharing her story and I you know, it it just broke today, but I've been so far just really encouraged by the support she's receiving and in general, the attitudes of like, this needs to stop. We cannot keep putting people through this. This is just as Frank said, this is abuse. And in her case, it was child abuse. And this cycle has to stop. And someone breaking a high school record is not worth becoming suicidal later on. Um, It's so short sighted. And I'm just hoping that like just as Frank is saying that this is a shift in our thinking and in our culture around our sport.
1: You know, and why am I not surprised to find out that this phone call took place? <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, it's the, the networking that can now go on. And, and I was talking before about the trust. She trusted you to call you. And, um, and you trusted that she was going to take what you said. And, and use that to to help reinforce her in um, her decision um, to do this. So it's um, I think today was a watershed moment.
2: Yeah, you know? I do. I really hope so. And I mean, I really, I'm just really proud of her for putting it out there.
0: I think it's hard for people to who haven't been in that place in terms of sharing a story like that so publicly it's hard for people to really put themselves in her shoes or in your shoes when you spoke publicly about the oregon project what's that wait like
2: you know i when i spoke to her we i told her you know it you're not going to sleep for the days leading up to this you're not going to sleep for the days after um but you will feel so light and you will be able to move forward with your life and you will be so unburdened because you're no longer held back by their faults and their abuse of the system and it's not yours and you'll be able to finally move on from it. And that's what I personally experienced. I think when I initially spoke out in 2015, there was a bit more backlash, but I was able to move forward as a person and just really move on from that situation because I no longer had to censor my answers to questions or pretend something was something that it wasn't. And so I'm excited for her to be able to really be able to let go and move forward from this and not have it be a weight in her life.
1: As I, as I remember her, her history, her parents, if, if my memory's correct, are both physicians. I think they are. And when she finally confided in her parents and told them what was going on, they said, you're coming home today. And you're not spending one more day, one more night out there. And I think, once again, she was lucky to have that support. And and now, moving forward, you would hope that even those athletes who don't have that kind of support – Kara had Adam and, and and Mary had her parents um, that now they'll feel the support of the group right and and I think that's that's that that's it but I think these two sort of laid that foundation and now um, um, their support will now I think enable other people to come forward
0: Mary talked about going you Frank Mary talked about two things two big things that need to happen for stuff like this to change and not happen again. One being that Nike needs to change its ways. And two, that more women need to be elevated to positions of support or coaching roles in our sport. What are your thoughts on those two things?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, both are, are, are pretty obvious and, and Nike um you know has has the ability to change and what i would ask them to do as someone who uh i can say was was very good friends with steve prefontaine who if you think back in the history was uh the in a, in a, in essence the the model of of their original brand um and think back, um, and I would like to imagine, okay, what would Steve, I call him Steve, uh, what would Pre, uh think about all this, and, and, and how, how would he be reacting? And I know you can say, well, how do you know? You don't know. Well, um, I lived with him basically for the last month before he died and 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 so uh, i I think I got to know him pretty well uh from not only the athletic side but from how he fit in to Nike's plans and their their future marketing so in that sense i would I would ask everyone at Nike to go back and and kind of as we say in psychology reframe and and just think think a little bit more about <laughs> from where they came, um, and to perhaps be willing to admit that, you know, things may have gotten out of hand and they drifted apart from what our original, um, idea was. Um, and then on the, uh, the other side that again, this, the solution is not that difficult. There are lots of very, very good women, female coaches out there. My wife is one <laughs> and, 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 um, it, 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 in and in terms of uh, you know uh, mental health, uh, there are lots of good female sports psychologists out there, and and so of course you can you can do that if if you really uh, do wanna uh, do wanna change, um, and so yeah I I think it's very possible, and uh,
0: all we can do is hope. What about our governing bodies? And one of the things that Mary commented on was how in bed with Nike our governing bodies are because of the money they provided and support support they've provided through the years. What needs to change there?
1: Well, I, I'd like to think I answered the question in the, in the previous answer. You know, people can change if they decide they want to um, do things differently. It, it I don't think there's anything bad about wanting a return on your investment. And I don't think there's anything bad about uh, wanting to sell your products and, and enhance your, your trademark. Um, but again, it's, it's your choice of, of how, how you want to do it and, and how you want it, want it to impact, um, you know, the, the athletic community uh, at large. And I think, again, they, if, if you can again focus on um, the true equality that that needs to happen um i i don't see any any difficulty any difficulty there i mean just not that i'm working for him but if you want to think of a branding thing think about the most successful athletes in track and field in recent years and i think there's a reason for it are the women uh, so why not um, you know, use them as a foundation on which to build um in terms of your marketing. I like to think just again parenthetically that maybe some of the success in the drug testing, particularly amongst amongst marathon majors, has been a significant reason why women and particularly American women have done much better at the marathon in particular over over the last few years of course you 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 know you have total phenoms like Emma Coburn, which, you know, are beyond explanation. But, you know, I think you can, you you can, um, you you can point to that. Because one, if you look at the times, they're slower. And two, you cannot discount the impact, the psychological impact of feeling the playing field is at least a little more level. That you don't have to line up and wonder who on your left or right is juiced, and I think in in marathons, maybe some of the women are actually starting to feel that way yeah and 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 so you can you can spread this out so my if I were someone wanted to know what my thought was on doing it, I'd say focus on the women and let the men catch up for a change
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Let's talk about alvarez Salzar case. What were your reactions to the decision to suspend him for four years?
1: Well, I trust Travis Tigert. And I trust his judgment um, on, again, I talked about methodically pursuing something. They they worked on this for, you know, since 2015. And the key was in getting the medical records from this Dr. Powers. And, in Houston, and um, you know that's it. The the records were altered. I mean, I guess you can try to uh, argue that they weren't altered, and but it it seems to me that these um, records were were changed. And if the penalty for changing these records is a four-year suspension, then so be it. Uh, so in, in a way, how do I feel about it? I I feel well. Um, this is the evidence. The evidence was accepted. They've got their right to appeal it if they want. And um, again, we're um, America is a nation of laws, and and I, I'd like to think our federation is also uh, involved with upholding their own per- particular laws and rules. Um, and and the other thing is someone who was trained as a lawyer, but never practiced. and But I, I do have, a, I, I wanna bring back up for people who are wondering about this, the idea of right versus privilege. And so when you look at what's going on with testing and the circumstances under which Avera Salazar was disqualified, uh, in order to participate in amateur sport and Olympic sport, either as an athlete or a coach, you don't have a right to do it. In order to be able to do it, you agree either implicitly or in the open that you will abide by certain policies and rules and and procedures and behavior in order uh, to be able to have the privilege of being involved in this. And you recognize that if you do not do this, you, in a sense, agree to be suspended. Um, and so that's it. It's not really a legal proceeding. It's it's an administrative proceeding. And um, everybody who participates in it, uh, whether it's the federations or we, USADA or the athletes or the coaches, you go in with your eyes wide open and you've agreed to it.
0: Were there any surprises for you given – I mean, you, you had some exposure to Alberto Salazar when he was an athlete. So what did you know about him then, and how did that come together with the decision that came out recently?
1: Well, my, my perception um, of Alberto as uh, both an athlete and as, as a coach is that he, he really uh, was always looking for an advantage – Um, and, um, you know, I, again, if you do it according to the rules, there's nothing wrong with, um, looking for an advantage, but it seems that, um, Alberto, um, kept looking and, and looking and looking and perhaps got to the point where he crossed over into an area where, um, looking for an advantage got into a murky, um, area um and then at a certain point it drifted over into doing something that um got him disqualified so i think you know uh, if you're a competitive person sure you can always be looking for an advantage but the the other point uh, i think is in the back of your mind i feel of any good athlete and i would like to think i'm one of those athletes and i think Kara's the same way, obviously, or she wouldn't have done what she's done. I I think Mary Kane was the same way. She wouldn't have done what she's done to to reveal all this. I I like to think in most of us, there is this uh, idea that the playing field should be level. And you should actually not just hope it happens or expect it to happen, but at certain points, be willing to work actively to not sort of keep it that way, but in our current circumstances, bring it back to that point. Uh, Because I would like to think some young athletes, as they come up, uh, are inculcated with the idea of, yes, you play fair, you play by the rules, and your satisfaction should be having success, having done it that way. And, and so I think um, I would like to think a lot of us are, are working at this um, for that reason. And so, again, I can't speak to other people's personalities, but I can say that uh, um, I'm hoping that, that 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 both all of what's gone on uh, within the last you know, couple months months uh, would, would sort of reinforce that with a lot of with a lot of
0: athletes. I'm going to let you jump in here, Kara. What would you like to know from Frank about that?
2: I wish, I wish that I had known all the things that were suspicious about Salazar before I went there. I wish there had been an agent. I mean, Nike was encouraging me to go there. I wish that someone had said, just so you know, these are, you know, the rumors and the accusations. I I just, I I wish I could go back in time and obviously I would do things differently. But just as Frank said, I, there's, there's, again, it's not, it's not a right. It is a privilege. And you agree to these rules. And once I saw that they were being crossed, I just could not be a part of it anymore. And there's no way that I could celebrate any success with any genuine feeling or emotion or feel any sort of pride if it didn't come on my own merit. I mean, like I, I'm, I'm always shocked by the people you find out later that get caught and they're celebrating, they're crying. And I'm like, how, how could you do that? Like, I just, Anyway, I just I think that Frank knew this a long time ago. We have a mutual friend who, after I left the Organ Project, said that that this would have been in twenty thirteen that she had seen you and and Frank said, "So Lance is gone, Salzar's next." <laughs> um, so I think Frank has been knowing. You know, Frank knows a lot more than he lets on, perhaps.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. The the thing is. <laughs> As a com- as a competitor, one of our rules is, right, Carol, never discount a good rumor about yourself <laughs> if it helps you. So if
2: she wants to start that rumor uh, for oh, me, that's no. fine. I heard <laughs> it from a legitimate source. This must have been back in 2013. So wow. I think, Frank, you know, and I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. Like, you you have an idea of what you're seeing. And Frank's description of a leapfrogger is perfect. Like, as an athlete or a former elite athlete, you, you follow these sports and you, and you watch and you do kind of have an idea of what's real and what isn't. And you, you just sort of start to watch someone's career unfold. And there are definitely careers that raise a red flag and, and you know, in your gut that that's, you know, what you're doing, you know what you've had to put into it. You know, the progress, you've made over eight years and you see them do it in a year and you just think, yeah, I don't think that's real.
1: And you're running along next to him, and you go, that's not the same person.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: They're not getting tired the same
2: way. Yep. Absolutely. And you, yeah, you just, you, we, most of us, no, can we like prosecute them? Of course not, but we have a good idea.
0: Let's talk about shoes, Frank. What do you think about the Nike shoe drama that we've been facing recently in the marathon?
1: I'm, I'll defer to my wife on that. Who's a wonderful swim coach and triathlon coach. She's the, give her a little credit here. She's had stadium and actually winners in the uh, national under uh, nineteen and under triathlon. Um, first thing she said when she heard about this was, "They're going to have to do the same thing they did in swimming with the body suits. They're they're just going to have to declare them illegal. It's just going to have to happen." and, and, you know, that's, that's all I can say. You, you, you can't, um, e- if, if it's true that they give you a 4% advantage, <laughs> it strikes me, that's the same advantage that when, um, EPO first came out, they were saying that was the advantage EPO gave you in a marathon, 4%. And so I, I, it just, it's beyond me how the, the, um, uh, Sports bodies, the IOC, and and this is where you come down to the back to the IOC. All Thomas Bach has to do is say this is what we're going to do, and it's going to be done. If he just says no, nope, can't do this, and we're going to have um, you know our scientists get together and and we like all the research Nike's done on theirs and all the other shoe companies, by the way, who are now coming up with their own version of this shoe, um, it, they're just going to have to nip this in the bud. They're, they're just going to have to say no. We we can't go there because, again, the level playing field. You if if it's true that it's a four percent advantage, um, then sorry, they can they can set maybe a limit on the rebound effect. Um, but I just don't think they they've got any other choice.
2: Just so everyone knows, if if the IAAF decides to do nothing and the next percent, which is rumored to be five to six percent, or the Alpha Fly. Is able to be used in competition. Frank and I will be redoing our PRs by seven percent. Yeah, 7%. yeah
0: 22. <laughs> just subtract.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
2: figure I can run about
1: thirteen ten for five
2: things. Yeah, we're just going to calculate the advantage and yeah. say our, like my PR is now two twenty one. I just want everyone to know. And Frank's PR is two hundred four, and we're just going to go with that. Okay, <laughs> just do the math. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
0: it's 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 funny, that but it, it's good. funny, but it's I not funny.
2: That. I like that. <laughs> I just want everyone to know I actually ran two twenty. Frank actually ran two oh four, and <laughs> now we can move on.
0: <laughs> and then, if only you were taking EPO, then you oh, could do that math a
2: could've, too. Could've, yeah, what a shit issue. Perfect.
0: <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny. I did a ten mile race here in Austin this weekend, and I was lined up at the start. You know, in the first two or three rows of people, looked down at the ground. Everybody's wearing the Vapor Flyer, the next percent, and except for me, and I'm just thinking. Wow, that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> you know, I'm seeding time right here in the start line and this is a race that doesn't matter for anyone. Uh, but we're talking in this case of the IAAF, big stakes, medals and sponsorship mm-hmm. dollars and and livelihoods and careers, and it's just it's crazy to think that outcomes could be decided by footwear and not by hard work and merit.
1: Well, again, we come back to the right privilege. And I keep coming back to this top down. Thomas Bach wants to say, that's it. They're not, we're not going to have them. It's it. crawl all over. End of story, as, Sh- as Shrek would say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Um, and, and I take hope in the fact that, you know, just yesterday, Bach gives $10 million to WADA to now go back and retest, uh, and, in large part, given what happened with the Oregon project Uh, fiasco, and and it's a a wonderful example of how if the IOC at the top wants something to happen, they can do it in a day because they're answerable to no one. So they can solve that problem this afternoon if they want.
0: And they make top-down decisions all the time. Right, including that to F, who yesterday just decided arbitrarily to remove events from the Diamond League finals, including the two hundred meters of steeplechase, some of the field events, which seems kind of crazy to me as a fan. What do you think, Frank?
1: Well, again, it's just you know they can they can do they can do what they want, they really can, and um again, not to get back to the drug testing and everything the IOC could demand true profile testing for any athlete who wants to compete in any of these events and and make it going in and they could do it they could say for the six month going into the world championships in order to be there we can't have people dropping out of the sky you have to show us a six month profile end of story And um, they can do it if they want.
0: But how do you influence that? Because it seems like some of the decisions they make are arbitrary and not necessarily in the best interest of a level playing field or of the athletes that are really the product on the track or the road. How can they be positively influenced to make decisions like that, to care more about clean sport or to care more about marketing the sport in a better way that doesn't sacrifice athlete well-being because it seems like at times fans and athletes are all fighting an uphill battle against the arbitrary decisions of a handful of people at the top that that seem to be disconnected
1: um i don't know you know all i can they they just have to as i said before you just have to make the decision you have to decide that's what you want to do. And, and I don't know, I hate in a way going back to this because I, I, I hope I do sound optimistic. I mean, I really do have hope, but when I started to become involved, um, the only reason I got involved with, uh, US anti-doping is that I read that Barry McCaffrey was committing a million dollars to find a test for EPO. And I said, God, this guy's supposed to be guarding the borders, keeping drugs out why does he want to do this? And, and it turns out I, he was someone who t- truly had an interest in the sport and he really wanted to do it. And and from the top down, he, well, he can't go any higher than the White House for a, a mandate. And, and so that's how I got involved. Whereas at a federation level in the U.S., I, I have to admit I'm guilty of not ever really taking an active role in the federation. And I hate to say it was because... Because of what you just described it, it just i i i i even then and maybe now I'm someone i I like to feel I can make the best use of the resources I have and and you know make my time um, as well spent as possible and and I just realized um uh, i I couldn't do it participating on the other hand, what I did do was work with Olin Castle when he was head of the athletics Congress to open the sport, you know, to prize money. So I always did it from the outside. And so when you say, well, what can be done from the, um, uh, what can be done? My experience was always working from the outside with people who could effectively do something and give them the credit and, <laughs> and, and let them, and, and let them do it. And unfortunately now I'm, I think I'm at the point where, you know, uh, I'm the only way to put it, well, is, is that I'm not sure how I could do that now. Um, you know, and, and so my role, when you ask me, what do I think should be done? I can only answer if I feel I can actively be involved. I, I don't like to answer in a way it says, well, this person could do that and that person could do that. And, and, and why aren't they doing that? And so if, all I can say is if some role opens up for me, then yeah, I'll I'll get involved. But other than that, I'm not I'm not gonna tell anybody else what to do.
0: Well, you've led by example, so that's good enough. And so has Kara and Mary Kane today. And I think if others care and speak and take action, then change can come. Thank you again, Frank, for joining us. I think we have to wrap it up. But this has been this has been awesome. We'll have to have a part three. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he's going to be our reappearing re- 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 guest every three months or so,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, let's hope it's necessary because some incredible things have happened. Yeah, exactly. You know?
0: So there you go. Thanks so much to Frank Shorter for joining us yet again. We will have to have him back on as more news emerges on the topic of clean sport. We really appreciate his perspective and for taking the time. And if you haven't already, Watch the Mary Kane op-ed that we mentioned in the discussion. I would highly encourage you to do so. It's an important topic to be aware of, to weigh in on, and to advocate for as it relates to the future of our sport. We have to do a better job of protecting young athletes, especially young women, from abuses of power from coaches like Salazar. As always, of course, thanks to you for listening, for weighing in on the conversation, You can check us out on our website at cleansport.org where you can sign the Clean Sport Pledge and participate that way. And then, of course, please do follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cleansportco. That's at cleansportco to join in on the conversation.
2: Otherwise, keep listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.